And good afternoon from Mali. It's Michael Benner with this week's Ageless Wisdom Mystery School webinar, our uh, series on the Fly program, FLY, Feeling Like Yourself, continues this week with part three, the language of feelings. Uh, part one, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about self-love, and last week we talked about using altered states states of deep relaxation, whether you call it meditation or reflection, contemplation, self-hypnosis, guided imagery, creative visualization, doesn't really matter the term you use, when the mind gets quiet and the emotional nature becomes calm as we sit still, relaxed, and safe, we can improve our memories and heal the inner child and as you'll see today, we can also get clarity into the meaning of our emotional feelings. Now, this concept alone is, <laughs> for a lot of people, uh, quite hard to believe. Uh, when I use a phrase, for example, like emotional intelligence, I always get these odd looks from a number of people that say, emotional intelligence, what are you talking about when when I get emotionally worked up, I become less intelligent. Well, yeah, but the emphasis is on worked up, not emotional. On the turmoil and the chaos that unmanaged emotions can bring about. The good news is we can learn to manage our emotions to through relaxation and feelings of being really safe. Guided imagery, as most of you know it, visualization, forms of meditation and self-hypnosis and biofeedback and gosh it's at the core of sports psychology and accelerated learning and uh, we quibble about the names but it's really all the same place it's an altered state called alpha <clears throat> excuse me the alpha brainwave state and it's been known for nearly 100 years imagine that and yet most of us i got to say that we find a certain amount of excitement in our anxiety, whether we experience it as mental chaos or emotional turmoil and, and bits of both. Uh, uh, we get hooked on adrenaline often. It makes us feel alive. It's like uh, the Bob Dylan line about he not busy being born is busy dying. You know, the graffiti artist who... If he can't get his name in the paper, at least he can tag a wall and feel like he's someone. We need to express ourselves. And if we don't know creative and positive and productive ways of expressing ourselves, the need is so strong that we'll find negative ways of expressing ourselves and actually get addicted to mental chaos and emotional turmoil and uh, even though what we all really want is love, in those situations, we'll often settle for sympathy. And uh, instead of loving other people, we're busy petitioning them for a bit of sympathy. Sympathy is not love. Sympathy does not heal us. A pity, people feeling sorry for you, or you feeling sorry for yourself, is not going to help. Well, believe me, I've tried. If it worked, I'd know, and so would you. So we've all tried that. And there always will be 
difficult periods in our lives, uh, chapters or verses at least, where we find ourselves in some sort of funk uh, with full of self-pity and seeking sympathy from other people. Um, but again, that's just evidence that our emotions need to be managed so that we can be intelligent emotionally as well as mentally and develop our EQ as well as our IQ. In fact, in the 15 years or so that this emotional intelligence field has emerged, initially out of uh, Harvard University in the work of uh, a fellow there named Daniel Goleman, and you may know of some of his books, um, amazing strides have been made in the research, and there is rather indisputable evidence. You could quibble about a couple of numbers here or there, but it's quite indisputable that the 80-20 rule applies here again, where 80% of your success in life, not only in business, but in relationships at home, in friendships and hobbies and avocations and spare time activities, 80% of your success is based in emotional intelligence, while only 20%, it seems, has anything to do with your IQ, your mental intelligence. Okay. Certainly it's important to be mentally intelligent. I'm just saying it appears that it's about four times more important <laughs> to develop your EQ and be emotionally intelligent. So today, the language of feelings. And when we finish today, we'll be halfway through this little six-session training or introduction, really, to these kinds of personal development trainings. And notice the first three, the first half of this six-session program, well, they're all emotional skills. Self-love was our first one. Healing the inner child, going back, regression, if you will, to childhood and healing the inner hurt, rescuing those kids that we are and that continue to live bottled up inside us with all of their anger and rage, and often rightfully so. Uh, we talked about how to deal with that last week. If you missed it, it's in the archives. Check it out at theagelesswisdom.com. Click on homepage to go inside. and You'll find it under the link web archives. You can even use an email to send it to your friends. We have this new device in there that makes it really slick and easy. As many of these past archived programs as you'd like to forward, you can send easily at that same location, theagelesswisdom.com, and then click on Homepage and then Web Teleconference, and they're all there with a link to forward to your friends, interested friends and associates, people who you know are looking for help with this kind of stuff. Okay. So that's our uh, agenda for the day today. And as I uh, began to say a minute ago, the first three are all emotional. And after today, uh, we're going to do a couple that are mental, problem-solving and decision-making classes. That will be four and five next week and the week that follows. Uh, as we move into October, by the way, happy October. It's the 5th of October, uh, 2008, today as we do this live. So... Of the six classes, three are emotional, two are mental, and one is physical. And um, you can presume that there is a priority there, that uh, 
We know how to change our behavior. And it's not uncommon to hear somebody say, well, I changed my mind. But I don't know of any phrase in our vocabulary where people talk about changing their emotions, changing their heart, so to speak, their ability to feel. This is an area where we really are victims. Uh, we play victim in our behavior. We play victim in the way we think. You know, well, they made me think that way, and they made me do this, but, gosh, they made me feel this way. You know, he made me angry, and she made me jealous, and, well, they, all of that, you know, this is the area where we need the biggest work. So half of these six sessions are devoted to emotional intelligence, okay? EQ, emotional management skills. I want you to become familiar with those phrases. You can do great work in the world <laughs> without being a teacher or a practitioner just by introducing yourself and your friends to this kind of new emerging, if you will, 21st century language. It is ageless wisdom. It is timeless from all cultures and all societies, but in the past only a handful of worthy disciples were even interested in such things. Uh, there were, you know, in all cultures and all times, there have always been extremely intelligent women and men, many of them who attended mystery schools. They didn't have the Internet. They had to actually go there. They couldn't even drive to the mystery school. Uh, they had to walk or, or ride an animal of some sort to get to the mystery school. Aren't we lucky that we can provide this for the English-speaking world via the Internet? And this is a mystery school. A lot of us, and certainly I'm included in the number, feel that we're in such dire straits that it's time for this wisdom to come forward and that we have to broadcast it and podcast it and, and promote it and teach not only the most worthy, but make it available to anybody with an open mind and an open heart who wants to improve the world, to redeem the world, and to change the world. Before I go further into this, I want to talk a little bit about the current situation economically and politically with the election. Uh, I'm not going to dwell upon this, but I do want to speak to it. And uh, if my math is correct, we'll have a week before the election, after finishing this little six-part series, where we can talk some spiritual politics and spiritual activism. We did it a few months ago, but with the crisis on Wall Street, the crisis on Main Street, the pundits like to use that allegory, Wall Street versus Main Street. Well, I think we're all in it together. Um, I think Wall Street's responsible, but we're in a real pickle, and there's a lot of stress and anxiety in the world. And... Um, I, I think that it's very important for us all to be ambassadors, not only of goodwill, but of hope and optimism and enthusiasm. I must tell you that the wisdom speaks a lot, again, in all cultures and societies from time out of mind, about um, everything being cyclic, everything having its season all things having an in-breath and an out-breath, peaks 
and valleys and around and around it goes. And it is darkest just before the dawn. And it's paradoxical. There's no question if you dabble in philosophy, you're going to have to face paradox. The great Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu, as we discussed here just a few weeks ago, is noted for having said that all truth is found in paradox. Much of what you're looking for is bound up in the paradoxes that we often find just too confusing to face. And we're in a real pickle and need to recognize the opportunity in the disaster, the the way in which mythology, for example, in the Western tradition talks about the phoenix, this this great bird that Ben Franklin actually wanted uh, to be the uh, national bird of the United States. There's a joke that he wanted the turkey, but it was really the phoenix, the mythological creature, somewhat like a turkey, but... <laughs> The, the mythology of the phoenix rising from the ashes, you know, remember the film Flight of, Flight of the Phoenix, uh, to be reborn again in the best sense of what that means to, the Japanese have a saying, uh, fall down seven, stand up eight. You see, uh, to stand up, to dust yourself off and get right on the horse again and, and ride. That's what we've got to do as people who may not be enlightened, but we're aspiring to that quality of existence where we see the light and where we understand who we really are, what we're really for, and what we're able to do. It's a time to be serious about how bad things are, but also, even if you find it somewhat paradoxical, to be optimistic and enthusiastic and to share that with your friends, Okay, to be a purveyor of hope. I think one of my favorite lines, maybe maybe the one line that means the most to me from the trilogy, Lord of the Rings, by J.R.R. Tolkien, is there's always hope. There's a couple of times where the good guys in the Lord of the Rings seem, <laughs> you know, so it's an adventure. They seem to be doomed. And every once in a while, someone says there's always hope. And Obama's written a book called The Audacity of Hope. And the Republicans, again, not real conservatives, but the neocons that have largely hijacked the Republican Party, uh, at least in these times, will see if the conservatives can regain control of the Republican Party, or even the influence that they rightly had in the Democratic Party to some extent, uh, some sense, because, again, conservative principles are principles that reasonable people can believe in and any intelligent liberal knows are needed to balance liberal ideas and vice versa. But the neocons, so-called, are a whole different breed and um, that's what's happening right now. And the, the Bush administration and, and even John McCain now, who used to be the maverick, has been sort of co-opted, well, no doubt, forget sort of, has has totally uh, lined up with the neocon philosophy, which is not conservative. Um, And I'm not going to dwell on that. I just want to talk about the audacity of hope and that the right wing is always going to use fear to shatter your hope. 
And so it's not a political, I would argue and appeal to you to hear this very clearly, there's nothing political in the battle between hope and fear. And that's the second point I want to make before we go back to our theme here uh, of the day today, which is even with this election coming up, you don't have to look at this choice in president or in your local congressional districts or if your uh, United States senator happens to be up for re-election in this cycle. You don't have to look at this through the lens of politics. You can breathe and relax and take a step back and mindfully see the bigger picture. That certainly is part of the wisdom. And what is the bigger picture? The bigger picture is that America en masse is moving from a culture of fear and ignorance and confusion to a culture of hope and love and peace. And there are going to be difficult times. We're going to get hit. We're going to take a big hit. And it seems, uh, to borrow a phrase from Michael Moore, as if the Bush administration, after all of the catastrophe and disaster that it, it, it has purposely caused, is now, as it goes out the door, stealing your silverware, too. Um, the Bush family did this 25 years ago with the SNL sting, and now we're getting, this is highway robbery, and there's nothing you can do about it, because if there was not this bailout or rescue, uh, they come after your pension. They already have. I've looked at my pension. So we're sort of screwed either way. But from a non-political point of view, I mean, the Democrats are talking about hope. I think Republicans probably have a hope of some kind. But, you know, if if you're hoping for more fear, <laughs> how, about, how much hope is that? Uh, it's it's very important that we think of ourselves in a non-political way, it seems to me, as ambassadors of hope and optimism and enthusiasm and look for the opportunities. If you're afraid of losing your job right now, this might be a really good time for you to look at opportunities to proactively initiate a search for a better gig, you know, maybe something more like a career than a job, maybe going back to school, maybe self-educating yourself or looking at entrepreneurship, working for yourself or providing a need, doing something you really love to do for people who are in need of that and really looking for it, something that giant corporations and multinationals would never be able to provide, a human touch, something warm and loving, a service where you really connect with people. And... Uh, so it's a bit of a tangent. I almost thought about putting off the show and doing a special program today called Danger. <clears throat> everything's going to be just fine. Warning, everything's okay. Uh, <laughs> but instead, I'll just do this little six or seven minute tangent here and appeal to you from my heart and my mind to be good ambassadors of hope. Uh, and and to be positive and enthusiastic and and uh, even drive people to the polls, but this just goes so far beyond voting and so far beyond politics and the way government is run. 
Hope is a quality of love, not fear. And we can be cautious and wise and still not succumb to fear, which is a weapon that has been used quite effectively against us. And if wisdom is anything, it is love. And fear is ignorance. It's quite clear. The way fear causes us to be stupid, and then our ignorance and confusion promotes more fear, which promotes more confusion and more fear. So anytime somebody uses fear, they're trying to dumb you down. And usually they're coming from a frightened and confused place themselves. So the wisdom, you see, and what is philosophy but the search for truth as wisdom, love as wisdom. That's what wisdom is, love, truth, you see. It's the essence of who we are. I, 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 how can I promise you this? I can't say the word promise. <laughs> I want to say I promise you that, um, well, take it for what it's worth. I'll just say it in a definitive way that I feel very, very strongly, how's that, that um, the way you think can fall away. And uh, when you die, what most of us call thoughts will be replaced by a mental quality that is available to us now, but we rarely see it. You will have a higher mind, but it won't be filled with the chaos and confusion that that we experience in form, in this body, with this personality, in this world. Okay. But what does remain is the love. There's absolutely no question about it. That's an energy or a force that drives the whole universe. And everybody says it, you know. Everybody says love is all you need, whether you're a born-again Christian or a, or a, a, a Muslim or a, a Jew, or a Hindu, a Buddhist, a Taoist, a, a, a shaman, a Wiccan. They all say the same thing about love. There is, however, in the monotheistic religions, which is basically Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, uh, a lot about fear, a lot uh, of confusion around the nature of fear. Fear is really not your friend. And if you're in serious danger, real, clear, and present danger, don't worry. Your body's going to take over. You've got this automatic fight-or-flight response. The problem is most of what stresses us, as I'm sure you know, is not real danger. It's just confusion. We don't know ourselves, and so we don't know the world around us. And so this is a nice segue then back on topic as we talk more about knowing ourselves in that way emotionally. That's what emotional intelligence is. So share the good news. Be positive. Be the light that your friends are looking for. Be that eternal font of hope and enthusiasm. Explain to them that it is darkest before the dawn, and everything in the cosmos has its season, its its in-breath and its out-breath. And we had to go through these very dark and evil times, multiple wars based on lies, torture, and, you know, the litany. It seems we've had to go through this to wake people up. 
And it's not just the Democrats coming to the rescue, because somebody will have to rescue us from Democrats. It's gentle, sweet, kind, loving people who access emotional intelligence as well as their mental intelligence who are going to be the leaders as we move into this new age of Aquarius, this new age of hope and love, um, an age of unity through diversity, where harmony sits in the middle of that unity and diversity, where we get our strength, just like the environmental ecosystem, from diversity. Have you ever gone back and thought about that stuff we learned in school? Remember Mendel and the peas and and, and, and genetics and and the importance of diversity in the gene pool um, to make people strong. That's why you don't inbreed. Remember the kid on the porch in deliverance from too much inbreeding? You don't want it. <laughs> That's a dangerous thing. People people suffer. The offspring of people that, that, that inbreed are debilitated by that. They, 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 they become too homogenized and and suffer strength, in fact, comes from diversity. Unity comes from diversity. So there has to be a harmonizing agent in the middle. Doesn't that make sense? That's the trinity mysticism. The heart and soul that stands in the middle of unity and diversity, of the one and the many, of the spiritual ocean of oneness, the all that is, and the myriad of diverse and unique forms on the other end. There's got to be a middle agent that harmonizes it. and It's called harmony. <laughs> and it's a quality of love and truth. And that's where the wisdom stands. So we need it all. I remember Timothy Leary on my radio program years ago responded to one of my rants about the right wing. And this was in the middle of the Reagan administration. Um, he was in office from 80 to 87, and uh, I just was going on about Iran-Contra and selling weapons for hostages and and running cocaine on the Air America Airlines the CIA was using to bring cocaine into America, and that was such a dark and an evil time. And I was talking about the Republicans and the conservatives, and I guess trying to impress Timothy and he sort of leaned over the table. It's too bad it was radio because um, it was amazing to see the look in his face. And he said, Michael, hold on a minute here. He said, wait a minute. We need a new, uh, we need a few right wingers in the gene pool to keep it diverse. We just don't want them running the show. But we need the diversity. Even if you think they're madmen. We could use a few madmen, a few crazies, a few Nazis, and and uh, you know, a few uh, fascists in, in in the gene pool. You just don't let them drive the car. And I I thought there it is. There's the wisdom. That's so true. That just hits you as true. You know. Sometimes I marvel at the way the right wing seems to want everybody in America to agree with them and. Anybody who disagrees even a little bit is the enemy. That kind of binary thinking is dangerous and uh, a product of fear that promotes more fear. So I want to share that with you today. And it's really not that much of a tangent, is it, as we talk about 
our emotional intelligence, about the language of feelings. And, and how is it now? Let's move back on topic here. How is it that our emotions could have any kind of intelligence? How could they teach us about anything? What are they for? Okay. Well, <clears throat> we have to look again at these two kinds of intelligence, two ways of knowing and understanding things. Again, if if you're taking notes today, and I know many people do, uh, because a lot of these concepts certainly bear some reflection, some some pondering later on. Uh, this would be something to write down. There's two ways to know and understand things. One is mental, and the other is emotional. The mental side you were taught in school. The emotional side is still not taught in schools. Maybe your parents, maybe you were fortunate enough to have well-educated and intelligent parents. And so they gave you books at an early age, and they taught you to think critically and encouraged you in appropriate ways to question authority and to challenge things to be smart. But unless they were really exceptional people, they probably did not teach you about emotional intelligence either. Most of what we learn about how to manage emotions, we learn from watching other people. And um, yet the good news, as I said before, is there's this burgeoning research in the last, especially the last 15 or 20 years, about EQ and the nature of emotional intelligence. So how are they different? Well, believe it or not, it's quite simple. Mental intelligence is objective. Emotional intelligence is subjective. What does that mean? Objective means about the objects around you. Mental intelligence, which is all they teach us in school, is to know the world around you, to know other people, to know uh, economics, you might think. <laughs> we don't know a lot about that. Uh, to know, to have a job skill, uh, to have a career path, to have some skills uh, in communicating with other people um, and and to get by mentally is to use the mind, logic, rational, deductive reasoning to understand the world around you. And it's largely logic and deductive in the mental nature. So when you turn your mental nature, your mind, and your thoughts to knowing the self as opposed to the world around you, of course it's going to be critical. It's going to take you apart because that's what logic does. It breaks things down. It takes you apart. And besides, logic tends to compare this to that. It looks for differences and distinguishes uh, the world in that way. But you're not like other people. And to simply look for differences and similarities in a mental way is not going to serve you when it comes to understanding your uniqueness in, in the way that we're all unique, not just genetically, but in the way we feel as well as the way we think. So, just as thoughts tend to be objective and about the world around you, 
The second way of knowing and understanding things, emotional intelligence and EQ as opposed to IQ, is subjective. It's about the subject of your life, which is you. So you are not what you think of yourself, but you are what you care about. You are not what you think of yourself. Some of those things might be true, but the thoughts are too confusing. That's not what the mind is for. The mind is for knowing everything else except you. And your emotions, they really don't tell you about other people. He made me feel this way is an illusion. She made me feel this way. You're deceiving yourself. They stimulated feelings that were evoked from you and are therefore about you and reveal you. You cannot feel a feeling that's not your emotional feeling. And if I make you angry, I could say the same thing to ten people and they'd be angry in ten different ways. If I insulted everybody said nasty, hurtful, insulting things. I could say the same nasty thing to ten people and get ten different reactions. They might all be upset with me, but, you know, some would be deeply hurt. Some would look at me like, well, you're crazy. Why don't you talk to me like that? That's not true, you see. So a stimulus will evoke a feeling from you, but you cannot play victim to the feeling if you expect to pursue wisdom in your life. You can't be helpless. You can't just sit in the hurt. And I, you know, I can't guarantee you that you can be so Christ-like or so Buddha-like that you can transcend completely the hurt and the anguish of being a victim of emotions. What we can do is radically reduce the amount of time that it takes us to recover and to account for the fact that I feel as if I've been attacked emotionally or insulted or hurt or demeaned or degraded. Ow! I can greatly, with breathing and mindfulness, recover much more quickly and remember, oh yeah, this is about me. My thoughts are about everything else. My feelings are always about me whether they feel warm and loving or terrifying and hurtful. They're my feelings. They're the essence of subjectivity. They're very personal. And if somebody hurts you with a word, you're stupid. And that hurts. Does it really matter which person said you're stupid? I mean, sometimes it does if it's someone who is near and dear to you, your partner, your spouse, a kid, a parent. You know, your best friend turns on you and says, boy, are you stupid or you're a such and such. Or, of course it's going to hurt. Okay. But when we take ownership of that, we we recover, we account for that. It's almost as if it was their long bony finger that poked us and hurt us, but where they poked us, we were already bruised. Because if we knew the truth, well, sometimes I make mistakes. Sometimes I say things that, you know, aren't the most intelligent way to respond, but I'm not stupid. In fact, the more I think about it, the more I reject that label. Is there a need now to be angry at the person that 
made you feel stupid or reminded you that sometimes you fear you may be. Your emotions tell you nothing about those other people. Your thoughts will. Your thoughts will judge them. All right. So you have to distinguish between EQ and IQ, between the emotional and the mental. The emotional is subjective. The mental is objective. The mental is about the world around you, all these objects. Your emotional intelligence, your emotional nature is subjective. It's the essence of subjectivity. It's intimate and personal. And your feelings, good, bad, or otherwise, reflect you. You are not what you think of yourself. You are what you care about. Okay? Again, I want to call your attention to uh, the bottom of the page. If you're listening live today uh, and uh, on the web, then you can put a comment or a question in the box in the bottom of the page, add your first name and the city that you're calling from, and I'd love to respond directly to your questions, your comments, and we'll do that in just a minute. It's funny, I've got a comment here from somebody who has not left their name, but he said, I wish you wouldn't talk about politics. I just got done saying it wasn't political. <laughs> You know, it's not political to talk about hope and love as an alternative to fear and confusion. Uh, so, I'm glad you're here anyway. Um, we'll go to those in just a minute. So, whoever you vote for, I, I hope you do remember there's going to be referenda and initiatives and you probably have school board people and county council and city people and and state officials, as well as your Congress people, and maybe a senator or two, uh, uh, there's lots of reasons to go and vote, and I want you to vote. But I want you to vote for a person out of vision and love and harmony, and that's really not political. So politics divides, tends to divide. What we're talking about unites. Fear divides, love unites. That's not political. <laughs> if one party or another chooses to promote fear, it still doesn't make it political. It's just a tactic to divide us. Okay, so let's get back on track here. Um, the language of feelings, where do we begin? Well, again, it's got to be the idea of altering consciousness. We are, especially now in this day and age, I've watched in my whole life, the overall levels of stress and anxiety, uh, not only in America, but in the world, especially in industrialized, first world, so-called first world nations, uh, major industrialized nations, stress and anxiety is growing by leaps and bounds. Um, there was a time when to meditate or to contemplate, to introspect, um, was not really imperative. It was a nice thing to do. Intelligent women and men, well-read people knew to do that. But it really wasn't imperative, you know, because the lifestyle was such that people still had time to gather around the Cracker Barrel at the general store or sit under a shade tree at the city park or go for a little hike and uh, up in the woods they may have lived in rural areas or on farms. They were closer to nature, um, you know, sat on the bank of the stream and, and 
put your foot in the water, you know, just relax. And then the mind would open and the heart would open. They didn't need a formal practice. It's become imperative, however, that if you want insight and understanding, if you want to know the world around you through your mental intelligence, and even more importantly, understand the uniqueness of that self that you really are through emotional intelligence, EQ, you've got to relax. You've got to convince the body that in spite of the stimulus coming in through your eyeballs and your ears and other senses and sensations and the appearance that you're in great danger, ah, I'm really quite safe. Okay, That stress wasn't the anxieties and stresses and fears of a clear and present danger. It was the anxiety and the confusion, the stresses and the fears of not understanding yourself, not knowing who you are, or why you think and feel and act the way you do. If my talk show for 40 years was about anything, and yeah, sometimes it seemed political, and sometimes it was about non-political current events and news, and but what we always did was go deeper than the surface to why do you think that way? Yeah, I hear what you think. Every talk show in the world uh, is about what you think and newspapers and commentaries. We know what you think. And we may even get a little bit of hint about why you feel the way you feel. And maybe some insight into why people behave the way they behave or that they behave that way. But the why... The why do you think that way? Why do you feel that way? And why do you behave that way? I noticed early on in my career that most people could not answer those questions. Take a simple issue like capital punishment, okay? And I would I would say to somebody who's calling on this topic, and, and let's say hypothetically they're in favor of capital punishment, and I would say, okay, I hear that you're in favor of capital punishment. Now, why do you feel that way? And they could never tell me. Or I would say, why are you in favor of war? Like, war is about protecting and defending territory or capturing territory and holding it. You can't eliminate a mindset with war. So if you're trying to change people's minds or you think you could just kill enough people who disagree with you that the world's going to be safe. Why do you believe that? And they couldn't tell me. So I began to create a program about why you think and feel and act the way you do. And until radio got over-centralized, and, and now 6,000 radio stations in America are owned by five corporations, and they're, they're not, they don't want you to, they don't want you to think that way. So, obviously, you know, I'm off the radio and people that, that teach you to think for yourself and to know yourself through your feelings and to be mindful enough and conscious enough to, to choose appropriate behavior, to take ownership of your behavior and your thoughts and your feelings. Well, that's a conversation that is difficult to have with most people. What do you mean, why do I think the way? What do you mean, why? See, 
why. In journalism class, you know, back in college, they taught us the W's. The who, what, where, when, how. The W's on the back end of how. The who, what, where, when, how, and why of things. That's, even if you're not a journalist, but just taking an essay exam, that's a great tool. I teach that in accelerated learning for taking short answer and essay exams. You ask the W's. Who, what, where, when, how. But the why is the tough one for most people. The shorter a question, the more powerful it is. Any interviewer will tell you the shorter the question, the more power it has. These are short questions. Who, what, where, when, how. But the toughest of all is why. And most people don't know why. They think the way they think. They have no idea why they feel the way they feel. Except to blame others. Well, they made me feel this way. And we don't even know why we do the things we do. Why do you wake up with a certain mood or an attitude? Why do you have nonspecific anxieties? What are you afraid of? Don't know. Don't know. Don't know. I think I'll follow some people who are going to tell me, rather than people who can teach me to think for myself. Again, maybe it's Timothy Leary Day today. (laughs) It comes to mind. It was Timothy who gets credit for, and is this controversial, think for yourself and question authority? I think he said it the other way around, actually. The bumper sticker was question authority and think for yourself. Or maybe it was think for yourself and question authority. It's really two sides of the same coin, isn't it? Okay, Michael, I'd love to think for myself. And then maybe I could even feel emotionally for myself if only somebody would teach me how to do that. Well, if you're willing to take the responsibility for love in your life, then you can begin to take responsibility for the emotional fear. And everything that feels good, all of your joy and your happiness, your peace of mind, your contentment, fulfillment, the search for meaning and purpose in your life, those are all positive, so-called positive, love-based emotions. And they don't need any management. Okay, They don't really need understanding. They are understanding. Love is understanding, just as Anything that hurts is fear-based and represents ignorance and confusion. When we're frightened or stressed, it's because it's we're confused. Love is understanding. Fear is ignorance. And evil, that's what evil is. It's confusion. It's ignorance. <laughs> you know, in some cases it becomes, some people are dedicated to it, but that's all it is, Right? It's it's no more a force than darkness is a force that struggles with light. Darkness is the absence of light, and evil is the absence of goodness and love and wisdom. It's based on ignorance. Notice, ignorance frightens you, and fear makes you more confused and more ignorant. It's a vicious cycle. What more evidence do you need? And so, any feeling that hurts is fear-based. And yes, those feelings do need management. They need redemption. And the idea is you don't kill or eliminate or slaughter negativity, uh, uh, fear, 
uh, evil, you redeem it. You uplift it. You educate it. You know, someday there will be wars where bombers fly over the enemy and drop bread and books because it works. You feed people. This is love your enemy. You feed them and educate them. Give them some blue jeans and they'll love you. But if you keep killing their cousins and their brothers and their children and their family and bombing their cities, it's hard to make a case that things are going to be better as a result of that. It's just very, very profitable, you see. (laughs) It's very profitable for some people. War is exceedingly profitable. Remember, uh, even in World War II, the last so-called good war, we had the um, popular cartoon of... um, Daddy Warbucks, people understand the scam, you know, but sometimes fear is so overwhelming and the ignorance so confusing that we go for the war anyway. I saw it after 9-11, and you can see what's happened, okay? didn't help at all, made things worse. Now we're in two wars, a million people are dead, and things are worse than ever. It's not very smart to act like an animal and not use the brains and the heart, the IQ and the EQ. So our focus today is emotional intelligence, the language of feelings. Emotions are subjective. They're about you. The negative ones are born of fear. They need redeeming. They need refinement. They need improvement. They need uplifting. Anything that feels good and joyous and loving and peaceful Leave that alone, you're doing just fine. That's, a, <laughs> that's evidence that you're right on track and you're doing just fine. Now, those of you who come here regularly know that in every one of these weekly webinars, uh, we do a guided imagery exercise, and today, of course, is no exception. And so I want to go to the questions and, uh, and, and the comments that you've um, uh, posted here today, those of us that are participating live today. And then, if you stay with us, we're going to do a guided imagery exercise that will show you a practical technique that you can play with to listen to your feelings describe themselves to you. This is a listening exercise. It is essentially about intuition. I hesitate to use the word intuition sometimes because for many people it brings up sixth sense and psychic phenomena and paranormal and horoscopes and knowing the future and that's, you know, that's too many eggs in one basket. But there is a sixth sense and there is a way of thinking and feeling. It's more emotional than mental. Intuition has a way of sort of uniting the two, but it's primarily emotional. And it's the dawning of insight and understanding. And that's how your emotions come to you. It might be the light bulb coming on. You've heard these allegories. You might be thunderstruck and the whole landscape illuminated and even changed forevermore by an intuitive insight and understanding what the Greeks called the Eureka Illumination, the aha experience. So it could be thunderstruck, it could be the light bulb comes on, it could be the dawning, but it's a coming of light in your heart and in your mind that allows you to understand what the emotion 
symptomizes, if I can make up a word, what the emotion is a symptom of. You see, just like your physical pain is really not a bad thing, it's an ally. <laughs> we don't want to feel pain, physical or emotional, but it's good that we do because the pain is a symptom. It's trying to get our attention and say, do something about this, intervene, okay? Like the Beatles, I got blisters on my fingers. You got to condition those fingertips when you first play the guitar, believe me. <laughs> And yet, after a few minutes of practice, if you don't want to get blisters and begin to bleed, you better put that guitar down. And the body will begin to callous just the fingertips where you played the guitar. And then in a day or two, you pick it up and your fingers are a little more callous. And after a few weeks of that, they've adapted. Okay. Well, that's fine for the physical body, but the emotional nature needs a little more participation, a little a little more active participation in interpreting the meaning of the emotional symptom. What is it trying to say? So you may know, for example, if you eat uh, ice cream or a cold drink too fast, you get one of those brain freeze headaches. What do you do? You slow down. You probably don't stop eating the ice cream for very long. You go right back to it but you slow down. If you read too much and your eyes begin to hurt, you probably know enough to put the book down, close your eyes, and rest them. So you say, well, I don't want to feel the pain, but it's really a good thing in a way. It's helping me avoid even more damage to myself. That's what the negative emotion is doing. It's not really a bad thing. It's, it, uh, another example would be the gauges and the lights on the dashboard of your car. You may not want them to indicate there's a problem, but covering the dashboard over with heavy brown wrapping paper and taping it so you can't see any of those gauges does not guarantee you that you will not have a problem. And ignoring your emotional hurt and your upset, your angers and your fears and 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 the animosity and the angst that we all feel from time to time to ignore that or to repress that or to just have a drink or smoke a joint or whatever to make it go away is, is, is foolish. As foolish as covering up the gauges on your dashboard or uh, putting a Band-Aid over a, a, a melanoma and saying, well, I can't see it, out of sight, out of mind. So we have to manage our emotions to develop our EQ. We have to understand that anything negative is fear-based and it needs light, needs insight and understanding. And we do that with a breath or two or three, some slow, deep breathing, and then allow your body to relax and your breathing to find a normal cadence. And in these states of mind, as I'm about to demonstrate in a few minutes for you here, with an issue that you choose, that is practical and right out of your life, okay? Because we've got a lot of people on the line here at the same time. This is not like one of my one-on-one -on -one sessions, but I think you'll begin to get a sense of how you can learn the language of your own emotional feelings and understand what that hurt is telling you about you. So the first rule has got to be take ownership of your feelings. You're responsible for the love in your life. You are responsible 
for the hurt and the fear in your life, which fortunately intelligent women and men can learn to redeem, to save, to uplift, to refine. Lead to gold, water to wine. That's that's what all of that's about. We don't kill the negative. You uplift it. You harmonize it. Let's go to uh, the uh, comment board here and see what some folks have to say. Uh, Tommy Lewis, in uh, sometimes of Ireland and sometimes of Los Angeles, is in L.A. today. Hello, Tommy. Nice to hear from you. And uh, uh, is this politics, Tommy? i got people that don't want politics here today and here hear all of this as politics, but Tammy says the administration is directing the issue away from their own profile uh, to an outsider other, Wall Street versus Main Street. Uh, a rove trick, he says. And then we have our, uh, oh, there's others. Gosh, I forgot to scroll down even before Tammy. Uh, Carol Postel says hello. Thanks for the sweet card. Thank you. You're very welcome, Carol. And um, Patricia Vega in Los Angeles. Carol, by the way, is in La Habra. Uh, Patricia in Los Angeles. Uh, she wants to know what to do about anger toward a past wrong that was done to you. Let me talk about that in just a minute, Patricia. Anger is a, maybe the penultimate negative emotion. We'll talk about that a bit. Uh, John in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, says, Hi, Michael. Another beautiful autumn day in Pennsylvania. And... Uh, very much enjoying the current fly classes. Thank you, John. And then Tommy's comment, and then the person that didn't leave a name but wants me to stop talking about politics, even if I keep saying it's not really political, that's okay. Breathe, relax. My my emphasis is on hope. I love human beings. You know, it's, it's, is it political to say, I love America, and I love Americans, and they're better than anybody else? Well, uh, I, I don't. <laughs> then where am I political to say I love human beings and I know we're capable of doing horrible things, killing people and torturing people for money you see, and even doing it in an organized fashion tolerating hunger not just the extreme hunger of the third world, but the hunger and the poverty and the, the, the food insecurity of our own people in the richest country in the world, a trillion dollars to fight a war based on lies, no money for the poor. It was the liberal Democrats that voted away aid to dependent children and diminished the food stamp program for hungry people. We can disagree on tactics and strategies. I think we should, but... How could we disagree on an outcome, which is a better world, where people are fed? You know, you're worried about population growth. Feed people. They have fewer kids. Educate people. They're more responsible. Dorina in Orange County, California. Hi, Michael. She, she, she says, sometimes it seems like it takes suffering to wake up for us as a nation before we start moving toward love and peace. Yeah, darkness before the dawn. That's that cyclic nature of things. You know, that God permits evil is one of the great paradoxes. Bill Maher, in his new movie, Religious, which came out two days ago, I have yet to see it, but I'm anxious to see it, uh, talks about that very thing. And uh, why would God allow evil? Well, the mystic knows. You have to have, you know, how can you have a coin with heads but not tails? You, <laughs> you can't have a yin without a yang. 
and you can't have daylight without some darkness. That's just the way it goes. Love and fear, again, it's paradoxical. It's just not easy to discuss, and yet it needs to be discussed. We know the direction we want to move in. And uh, let's see, another Tommy in Los Angeles, or this may be Tommy Lewis again, not sure, says, thanks, Michael, for readdressing the difference between IQ and EQ. Um, you always put things in such eloquent terms. It's tough to translate these uh, nuances for the mind to um, let's see, employ uh, the benefits of the heart without creating more inner conflict. Yeah, that's well said. And up in Apple Valley, Don, how you Don? Nice to hear from you, buddy. And uh, he says, uh, great to have found you in your new format, Holly from the High Desert, and thanks for all the love and wisdom. Well, you're very welcome, and likewise, back at you, Don, a listener, a student, a client for a long time. Let's see, also from the Netherlands, this is why the Internet is so cool, from Amsterdam, Dr. Kev, friend of mine for a long time. He talks about um, the Dharma Brothers video, Vipassana training for inmates in the Deep South. Must see learning to choose response to feelings. That's it, buddy. Dr. Kev is a yoga teacher and a chiropractor. He knows what we're talking about. Also, Kareem and Cerritos. He says, hi, Michael. Saw the podcast on iTunes. Glad to have that available, too. Yeah, and if you get a chance, thanks for reminding me, Kareem. Uh, three or four people have put some real nice reviews of this class, this online webinar, on the iTunes store. And if you get a chance to do that, that'd be wonderful. Just say how you really feel about it. Okay, all I would ask you to do is put the truth up there. Uh, of course, if you don't like it, you don't have to review it. But <laughs> but if you like the show, if you like the class, this webinar, and are listening to it either live by telephone, live by the web, as streaming, as uh, downloadable, or as a podcast. We're making it available free as a public service of FocusedPassion.com and uh, our premium programs on that end of things. Well, if you get a chance to go to the iTunes store and write a nice review, I'd, I'd really appreciate it. It's really easy to do. All right. Well, Let's see, it's uh, just a few minutes after the top of the hour, so let's do our uh, guided imagery. Our theme again for the day is the language of feelings. This is the third of six classes in the FLY program that I've taught for years. It's called Feeling Like Yourself. I normally teach this one-on-one, -on -one, currently over the telephone to people, in 90-minute um, sessions used to do an hour 45, and now do 90-minute sessions on the telephone, and 8 to 10 90-minute sessions is the full-fly training, feeling like yourself. The career training that I did for two or three years before leaving Los Angeles and coming here to Hawaii was a training that was 160 classroom hours, but the heart and soul of it was the fly program exactly what you're being introduced to here. Now, we developed it a lot more in 160 classroom hours, of course, and we also taught the um, students
students who were training to do counseling and, and coaching, personal and spiritual development with the FLY program, how to teach it both as a training and then additionally, many of those hours were how to pull these techniques out, how to cherry pick the right techniques from the training and use them in a counseling situation where a person comes in with a single particular issue that they want to work on and so you have to find the appropriate technique but you bundle all of that together in a basic way you get a nice training for you know anybody who's most of the people I've worked with the vast majority of people I've worked with over the years have been very healthy happy and prosperous and productive people who just want more they 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 love life they love other people they love themselves uh, they love their animals they love nature and they're having a great time. This is one of the kick in the afterburners, you know. It's too bad so many people still think of this kind of personal development work as, you know, something you do if you go crazy. You go crazy if you don't do it, I think. So that's what we're talking about, the language of feelings. What do my feelings say about me, and how can I understand the language of feelings? How can I listen to my feelings? Look at my feelings, take responsibility and accountability for my emotional nature and develop my EQ, which is four times, according to the research, four times more important to your success than IQ. Now, again, most colleges and universities aren't going to tell you that because <laughs> they don't have very many, if any, classes in emotional intelligence yet, but... Your children will get it, and your children's children will be introduced to it, because we are evolving. We are evolving in spite of ourselves. We will grow. We could be a little more graceful and elegant and accelerate the evolutionary process of consciousness. But even if we dig in our heels, you're going to grow one way or the other. You can crawl and scrape and scratch and claw your way along, or you can jump up and dance and, and boogie, you know, in a wonderful, fun, and elegant way. But we're all moving forward, a little or a lot. Everything is unfolding. You know those statements about everything is unfolding as it should? You know, sort of a, a Buddhist concept that everything's exactly right as it is right now. If I acknowledge the truth in that, I have to add the caveat of, and we can do it more elegantly, more effortlessly, and more lovingly. And that's all I'm saying. But you'll grow in any event. You're, <laughs> one way or the other, you're going to grow. So, provided that this is an appropriate time for you, that uh, you, you're not driving a car or operating a chainsaw, get comfortable. And... Uh, some folks listening on cell phone, you might want to put it on speaker or use a Bluetooth. Uh, whatever is your setup, get nice and comfortable. Take a slow, deep breath or two, pulling in strength and power as you inhale. And ah, as you exhale, feel the sigh of relief. Feel the letting go. And do that two or three times. Pulling in strength and power as you inhale and as you exhale, uh, feel the letting go in your body. How safe 
can you allow yourself to feel? Just, just how safe can you permit yourself to feel? From the top of your head to the soles of your feet, muscles now relaxing and unwinding. If you permit it, if you allow yourself to feel safe. And although your breathing now finds a natural rhythm and cadence, you can at any time you wish deliberately initiate another slow, deep breath or two. And each time you exhale, ah, you just feel so safe and relaxed. With your eyes closed, begin to dream of a beautiful place of perfect peace, an ideal relaxation, an Eden, a heaven, a paradise. You may be high in a mountain or deep in a valley. You could be in the high desert like Don or the seashore like many of our listeners. You could be in Hawaii where I have found myself here or any place in the world. Callers today from Ireland and Amsterdam. You could be in an easy chair in your living room. That could be your place of perfect peace. But outdoors is so nice, allowing my voice to go with you. Just pretend that you're sitting in this beautiful place, hearing the birds sing, and the sound of a little stream spilling down the hillside right next to you. Butterflies and bumblebees and wildflowers and blue sky and gentle, warm sunshine, but not too hot, just right. Or maybe you're in a cool, shady place, but as you sit upon the earth, you feel rooted into the earth. Yeah, rooted. As if you could imagine easily how a tree or a bush or a single blade of grass feels to be connected into the source of your life. Rooted into the earth, but reaching for the sun. Rooted in the material world, but aspiring to know oneself spiritually. And emotional love is the portal spiritual love and emotional peace of mind and safety is the gateway to spiritual truth. The peace, the love, and the safety of the one thing. And you are the middle rooted in the earth drawn toward the light. You are the path of least resistance is that light, that spirit seeks the earth. And you can feel it running through you. You can feel in your body as you become even more relaxed the aliveness and the peace. And as you come into this alpha brainwave level, this way of thinking and feeling as if in paradise. The Christos, the Buddha consciousness of expanded awareness 
insight and understanding. I'd like you to allow your mind to think of an incident in just the past few days. might have been earlier today or yesterday or maybe the day before. But something in the last few days when you found yourself feeling emotionally rather hurt, upset, even angry. In many ways, anger and hatred, rage, are the biggest emotions of all. At least in the negative sense. The symptoms of hurt, confusion, even what's been called evil and portrayed as a force though it be the absence of light and goodness. Something that happened to you in the last day or two that you're now remembering, and maybe you'd like to push it away again, but you allow it to come forward, for it needs redemption, needs to be understood. So effortlessly, allow this recent negative feeling to come upon you again to move over you, in you, through you, around you, and about you. This is what you're for. This will not kill you. This will not damage you. It's a symptom. It just wants your attention. Let it have its way with you, whether it's anger or deep hurt, sorrow. You, maybe you even thought it was anger. Or hatred and fear. But you now understand, as you begin to allow yourself to really feel in these quiet and peaceful states of mind and heart, that that anger and that hatred, that animosity and angst was really hurt that had been ignored. To disassemble your angers, your hatred, and your fear, to take it apart and to find the hurt at the center of the rage. To become that vulnerable and that responsible is not to blame yourself rather than others. It's to abandon blame and become vulnerable enough to really feel the hurt at the heart of the anger and the outrage, whatever it happened to be, just something that comes to mind from the last couple of days. And remember that you're sitting upon the earth in this beautiful, beautiful place of peace where you're so safe and relaxed. And as you continue to sit still and allow my voice to guide you, your mental nature, even now, is becoming quieter. And your emotional nature, even now, is becoming more calm. As if you were sitting beside a pool of water, And if you were next to a little stream, as I suggested a few minutes ago, 
Imagine walking downstream to a little lake or a pond or a pool. Or if you were sitting in the middle of a sunny meadow, get up and walk over to a little pond that you just made up in your mind just now. You're in control of your imagination. It's a letting go, though. You're in control of the letting go and the dreaming and the imagining yourself sitting beside this little pool of water, a little pond or a small lake. And at first there are small waves, chop, wind waves, a disturbance in the surface of the pond. It prevents you from seeing into the water. It also makes it very difficult to see anything reflected upon the water. But as you sit here quietly and patiently, feeling so safe and so relaxed, you can easily imagine the surface of that pond, that little pool of water, becoming still and quiet, like a mirror as smooth as glass. And still, this is not an effort. It is allowing, giving yourself permission to be undisturbed and to see into the water. And as you learn to practice this technique on your own, coming to this place, you will sit receptive as you look into the water. And you will see in your mind's eye, as if peering into this mirror-like pool, both reflected on the surface and often deeper, sometimes very deep in the pool. You will see and you will hear and you will feel intuitively the insight, the understanding that resolves this hurt. And it will be about you. If at any time in this exercise the insight you seek the understanding that you long for takes you to an examination of the stimulus of the person or the group or the circumstance that made you feel this way, then no, those are thoughts. And thank the thought for its effort. You might even want to give that thought form a little hug. Because it's just trying to help out, but Explain that you're doing feeling work now, and it should sit over on the side. If it's about the stimulus, the individual, the group, or the circumstance that made you feel this way, that's a thought. Have it sit on the side and turn back to, what is this feeling or set of feelings say about me? Given this particular instant, from just the last day or two, 
myself. What is this emotional hurt? Even if it appeared initially as anger or, or hatred or frustration or irritation or rage, find the hurt. Let it hurt you. This is your feeling. Don't blame the stimulus and do not blame yourself. Forget blame. Sit receptively as you peer into the quiet pool and open all of your quiet and calm senses and sensations to an intuitive revealing of why you feel this way. And what it reveals about you Again, if it's negative in any way, if it criticizes you, these inner voices or these pictures, if it just makes you feel bad, it's probably a thought. The beautiful thing about working with emotional intelligence is that it always educates us, edifies and uplifts us sweetly. It reveals the best in us. And the worst, in such a gentle and kind and loving way, for this insight is love that redeems all hurt. It refines from lead to gold, and then from 14 carat to 18 carat to 22 carat, more and more pure, as you stand open and receptive. There is a feeling that stands above emotions of peace and love and harmony, a quality of light that allows you to see. And you can easily repeat this. You could do this for two minutes at a time, ten minutes at a time, twenty minutes or more, sitting receptively, calmly in front of the pool, safe and relaxed. And you'll know that your insight and your understanding is working to refine the hurt when the hurt falls away. It just vaporizes. And if some of it goes away, but some lingers or returns, then just repeat the exercise. There's more gifts under the tree that you haven't found yet. There are more learning lessons for you in this wonderful relaxed and safe place. Now, whatever insight you've had in this brief exercise, tell yourself it'll be easy to bring with you back into your waking state. Reorient yourself. Remember where you are. Okay. Take a nice, slow, deep breath now, filling your lungs. Tell yourself it'll be easy to remember, and exhale, uh, and as it feels right for you, open your eyes, wide awake and alert, feeling rested and refreshed, and back in your body and back in the room in which you're sitting, with this insight and this understanding that is not critical because it was not mental. 
if it was critical in any way, it was just a bunch of thoughts. And as you practice getting more relaxed and feeling safer and safer, those negative thoughts quiet. Critical judgment is always there. You'll be more intelligent. Maybe not more logical or more critical of self, but more intelligent mentally and emotionally, IQ and EQ. When you sit and add to what you know in your mind, what is revealed in your heart. And it's a letting go. Again, no effort, no trick here except to sit quietly and allow yourself to understand what the hurt is saying. And remember, even anger and rage is really just hurt that's been ignored and denied for so long. And remember this in the context of last week in rescuing your own inner child as the adult you've become. And the first week, the self-love session, that all love flows through your own love for you. You are the love in your life. You are the hurt that other people seem to do to you but actually bring out of you that wants to be redeemed into more love, more insight, and more understanding. Hey, gang, we're almost out of time. i got to run. Thanks so much for being here. Shoot me an email at my initials at theagelesswisdom.com, mb at theagelesswisdom.com. Call about private work anytime, 24-7, at 818-569-3017. Leave a voicemail message at 818-569-3017. Or as they say, uh, send me an email. And uh, the only other thing I'd like you to do if you're listening on the web is look in the lower right-hand corner, whether we're live or the replay. If you look in the right-hand corner, you'll see three links below a button. The button says Wage Inner Peace. That'll take you to the Focus Passion site. And I keep saying we're a week away from the new site, the big upgrade. Honest, we're getting really close, so keep an eye for that. And then the other links below. The Ageless Wisdom takes you to my site. The audio archives is where you can listen to this program as a replay or any of our past programs. And below that, a link to the newsletter archive and the blog where you can leave a comment, a written text comment on any of these events, these classes, these webinars that we do in the Ageless Wisdom tradition every Sunday afternoon. Okay, So thanks so much for being there. Also remember to use the link to send these programs, the ones you really like, to friends that you know would be interested in the topic. You'll find that on my website, theagelesswisdom.com, under web teleconference, or just hit audio archive in the lower right of the screen. Thanks for being with us. Have a wonderful Sunday, a great week. We'll talk to you next Sunday with lesson number four, problem solving and decision making. You're going to want to be available for this. And if you can't, well, remember the replay. Tell your friends we appreciate the support. And as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha.